Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. This is part two of my interview with Scott Kelly. In this part of the interview, what he talks about is how NHRA came in, took over for Battle of the Imports, and really started to pump the import program. He talks about how he helped uh, VWs get accepted in the Battle of the Import stuff, and also talked about the struggles with having VWs accepted in some of that import arena because of the speed of the cars. So it's a pretty good listen. Uh, I know you guys will enjoy it. It's really insightful and there's a lot of information as to what's going on behind the scenes with NHRA and some stuff like that. So I know you guys will dig it. One thing I wanted to bring up uh, was some tragic news that happened this week. Jesse Combs was killed while attempting a land speed record. Uh, she was 36 years old and Jesse's known from being on Mythbusters to overhauling and all girls garage and all that stuff. And she was a pretty rad check that had a lot of, uh, a lot of skill and capability and uh, a lot of uh, talent. So uh, it's sad to see something like that happen. Um, it's just a shame. Our thoughts and prayers over here at Let's Talk Dubs go out to her family. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, it's a difficult thing to have to deal with, especially when someone is in the pursuit of something they're so passionate of and uh, tragedy happens. So, like I said, our, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out with her family. Um, so... So on this episode, uh, we'll continue talking about uh, drag racing, and there's a lot of really good information on here, so I know you guys will dig it. In addition to that, don't forget, coming up, um, Utah VW Classic coming up uh, September 14th and 13th will be the pre-show get-together at Southtown VW in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, we'll be there. Uh, Let's Talk Dubs will be there, so make sure you guys come by, check us out. I don't know if I'll be driving the Bull Run bus or the carbon cab as of right now both are up in the air but goal is to get them both wrapped up and one of the two wrapped up and on the road and then we're going to make a road trip out there probably do a lot of facebook live or instagram live while we're driving out there's a a bunch of people so feel free to join with us in the caravan that we're going to be headed up there on friday the 13th driving up super early in the morning from vegas so if you guys are coming out there from another location feel free to hit us up on the podcast dm me i'll let you know where we're meeting up from and if you catch us, you catch us. So, Also, we're going to be having uh, a special Labor Day weekend episode coming out on Friday night. So Friday night, be looking out for a listener-inspired podcast coming out. We had a bunch of questions that we answered. George and I having a conversation about a lot of questions that are coming in from listeners. So uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that, give you a little extra something for the Labor Day weekend. That's all I got, guys. Enjoy part two of... Scott Kelly, the Battle of the Imports, NHRA, and VWs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motor Security Blanket. So uh, because we had been very, very successful for the last four years, uh, we won a couple national championships. We had the record for a while, uh, but they went right by us really quick. Uh, so I started meeting with all of the manufacturers, uh, Chevy, Ford, Mazda. And I was super close to signing with Chevy. I mean, we're, we're just working out the numbers. And Chevy this time is running that Cobalt? Cobalt. 
Uh, yep. And it was a factory back deal where they're going to provide the engines. The motor was a eco Ecotech. Exactly. Um, and I get a phone call out of the blue from, uh, one of the VPs at TRD. His name was Gary Reed and Gary says, Hey, uh, I'm with uh, TRD. We're interested in getting involved with the program that that's happening and we want you to drive it. And I go, well, Gary, I got to be honest with you. I said, I'm really close to signing with Chevy. And he says, where do you live? And I said, I'm in your Belinda. And he said, so am I. He said, let me come by and let's, let's chat. So I made a phone call to my dad and I said, Hey dad, the VP at TRD wants to meet with us. He says, yeah, have him come over. We'll, we'll chat with him. So he comes over. We, uh, we chat for a little bit. Um, my dad has a little bit of land in your Belinda. So we had built on to his house. He has a shop that has a mill, a lay, the flow bench. So everything we need to do to do our own stuff. Right. Cause we've always built our own engines. Sure. And so we kind of show him the shop. I don't think I know anybody at the flow bench. <laughs> <laughs> now you do. <laughs> uh, and very handy by the way. Yeah. I bet. Um, so you kind of give him the tour of the shop, you know, he gets to see all the, you know, trophies and stuff. And, and he's, and basically he will not leave until we have a deal. Really? And so we end up a uh, handshake deal with Toyota to been a three year deal. Um, the first two years, they're going to build the engines out of TRD in Costa Mesa. Now, now let me ask this question. So you're used to building your own motors and stuff. And now mm-hmm. this factory deal, this is your first factory deal ever. First factory deal. They come to you and say, we're going to build the motor. Don't worry about what's inside it. Just put it in the car type thing. Put it in the car. They don't want you touching it. Uh, well, and, and they don't want us touching it. And they, uh, they sent a guy out the first two, two years to basically tune. And so we made the transition from, uh, carbureted engines to injection using Motec, uh, as your ignition system. And once you make the jump to Motec, yeah, it's, it's like stone age to, oh yeah. Space age. I, I I'm on my Type 34 Gia that when I when I first had it built, I told you it was like a no holds barred car. When I first finished that car, it had a uh, the injection system on it was an SDS setup, and that's what Jake Raby swore by. And then when I decided to have Adam go through the motor, he he does tons of off road motors, and one of his guys there, Dave with Desert Dynamics, was like, "Bro, what do you have?" He's like, "What do you have this antiquated fuel injection on your phone?" Like, because the guy built the motor says this is the best fuel injection on the market. He goes, "That's like thirty year old technology." He says, "Dude, put a Motec on the car." Blah 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 blah. Now, when I had the SDS on the car, it was an injected car, and it didn't pop, fart, and stutter like most of the VW injection systems on the market. Um, and once I switched it to, it wasn't cheap because the Motec is the Motec's not cheap. And I only used maybe, I don't know, uh, 20% of its capabilities on the VW motor. But like that, once I changed it to MoTeC injection and this guy who knew what he was doing dialed it in, it was a push button start car. I'd get in, push button, fire up every time, didn't pop, didn't stutter, stayed smooth, cool and all. Like, like so yeah, trust me, man. And it, it's expensive, but it's like the cats, the brain for those that don't know out there, MoTeC brain is like two grand. Well, they, it, for the just for the brain, yeah, then you well, got to get it wiring. The, and, the one we used was the uh, uh, M880 box, mm-hmm. M880 box. Yeah, and uh, so w- we left all that to Toyota because they said we'll, we'll take care of the ignition, we'll take care of all the wiring. Well, the M880 box, they're twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, 
and they gave us an extra one. Like here's another they one. said, well, here's another one just in case you have a problem with this one so you can plug it in. Pre-programmed. Yeah, the wiring, uh, they said, we're, we'll take care of the wiring because we want no issues. The wiring was 15 grand. Yeah, yeah. So everything had a sensor. So wheel speed sensors. They had shock sensors. They had G-meter sensors. They had uh, everything was monitored on this race car. And it, it, it was like unbelievable. So I kind of put my nose to the grindstone and I learned it in the two years that they sent out a guy to help tune. So I paid attention and got to know this MoTeC system so that after the two years, we took over the engine building program. Um, and so we, after that, we built everything in-house. Wow. So you started building the Toyota motors in-house. Yes. And so what, so you then take, so, so now you get a crack at like a professionally built multi-million billion dollar company that has an R and D team and you get to crack open this motor and start building it. I mean, is it, is it crazy technology and you're like having to learn a whole different deal on building motors or did you say we're going with what we know, which is induction, uh, you know, head, head design and flow and that kind of stuff. And well, like I said, everything is in a normally aspirate engine. There's, there's only about five or six key pieces you know you got to have compression you got to have injection or induction you got to have uh with with the with the toyota stuff it was all overhead cam Mm -hmm. uh four valves per cylinder so with the four valve per cylinder you had you didn't have to lift it as high because you had four valves you got more valves pumping in pumping in and you could spin these things um we'd run about 10,500 rpm when we'd shift well, I mean, launching at 9,000. And so to some of our listeners that don't understand why you can get such a difference in RPM range, it's due to cam, like overhead cam design. Correct. You don't have push rods. That's a game you know, changer. In a Volkswagen, your push rods are about a foot long. Yeah. And all your valve train, it just can't take the beating. An overhead cam, you can spin those things up. I mean, we could have gone a little farther, but it, it uh, on the dyno, it would start falling off at about... Uh, 10-2, 10-3 is where the the power curve was. And so we'd make horsepower, big. the big horsepower was about 9,000 to 10-2. And so when we uh, tuned the car for transmission, uh, so everything was, it was a five-speed with, uh, with the Toyota. Sequential. Like this is not a factory transmission. Well, it is factory transmission, but what we did is that was one of the rules with Pro Stock is you had to run a factory housing, tra- housing but you, you could do whatever you wanted inside. So we found a company in Australia and basically took a Scion transmission mm-hmm. and reverse engineered it so that we could put dog gears in it, uh, straight cut gears, um, and made it basically a sequential transmission. And that's the reason they're so darn expensive, or they were expensive at the time. And so that transition that you make from from drag racing, like, and and what's the, sp- the what's the speed of this car that you're running for Toyota at uh, the time when you start racing it? Uh, Mid nines, 145, 150 and so miles now an hour. You're going the fastest you've ever gone in a drag car, right? And the same time, it's front wheel drive, so it's a completely different experience. Whole different animal. I was watching some of the videos, and I'll link some of the videos to the podcast stuff that's on there. Um, and, and it's got this crazy triangular wheelie bar that comes off the back. That's like a single wheelie bar because you just really need it to 
I, I think, is it preloaded to just keep pressure on the front wheels? No, it, that was one of the rules, uh, is nothing can be preloaded on a, on a wheelie bar. I just came up with that, just thinking about it, because I was thinking, like, well, what the heck can you wheelie and, bar for unless you could preload it? And uh, when we designed this, this race car, so making the transition to Toyota, and basically what they told us is, hey, we're going to build the engines. The car and the transmissions are up to you. So when it, the time came to build the race car, we uh, I had a pretty good relationship with Ron Loomis, Ron Loomis Racing. And we went in and said, Ron, we have a clean sheet. Start from scratch. Let's build a true front-wheel drive race car that no one else has built. So no one's built anything like that to this point. To this point. And they're, they're and, all using factory subframes and stuff like that. Correct. And uh, so basically we started with a clean sheet of paper and designed a tube chassis that was designed to be a front wheel drive race car. Hmm. And uh, I wish I could show you guys, but the, uh, the way that we, we did the front struts, well, and we and and we'll and and you'll send me some photographs that I'll put on the on the podcast so that people, when we reference it, they'll be able to look at it. So on the front struts, what what design did you come up with? So when uh, whenever you you deal with a car, usually they go up and down this way. Mm -hmm. What we did is we turned them around to where the the struts went up and down, but from basically the the cab of the car, so they went up and down this way. And what that did is it cleared all the space so that we could we could compress everything in a front wheel drive oh, to get car your big, to get your big meats big, in there. big tires. So, so we go, took all that out of the way. Did you do like a cantilever setup where you kind of because because the, the the suspension still goes up and down, or did you just the, like the suspension was back and forth? Well, it, it went up and down, but it went up and down front to back rather than side to side. Okay, so it was if like that a, makes sense, it was on a pivot. It was like on a like on a like on a pivot arm. Correct. And so we took we took away all of the, like the sprung weight that 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 eats up all the horsepower that where, where you lose horsepower in that in that up and down and and you lose um, space to put tires and transmissions and because all the all the technology is uh, transverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're going for your front wheel drive. You got a transmission on the side of the motor. Correct. The motors turn sideways, and or sideways and kind of the transmissions on the side, but under on the bottom of the car, right? Correct. And so we we basically built the car around the transmission right? and, and the the engine, and so that we had space. And the other piece is we noticed um, with the front wheel drive guys is if they had an issue with a transmission, they had to pull the engine and transmission as one unit. When we designed the race car, we designed it so that we could pull the transmission Just drop the training. aside from, we could leave the engine where it sits and pull the transmission so we can get to the clutch, we can get to the transmission if we have an issue. So when we kind of debuted the car, uh -oh. it was like, and <laughs> every, everybody like, goes, holy smokes, why didn't we think of that? Because you've got, because you're running how wide a slicks in the front versus everybody else. Well, it, they everybody was running about uh, nine inch, 10 inch slicks. Uh-huh. But they didn't have much room. Right. And so we had cavernous room because we moved everything out of the way. Under your hood, you just see wheels, axles, and motor. And motor and trans. And that was it. And so with with doing that and and kind of pioneering that all of a sudden, so you're, you're racing your l beloved Volkswagen in the scene. 
they make you sandbag until they can beat you. Then you become, they had to be able to get their technology to beat your antiquated technology. Then once that happened, you still had the fever to race. So you transition into with Toyota and now, now it's a level playing field. Now you have the fuel injection, timing control. You've got all these things that your, your antiquated Volkswagen didn't have. And now you're coming out and innovating things in the, in the front wheel drive, in the front wheel drive world world. And the, and it's and it's Volkswagen guys doing that. Correct. You know what I mean? Which is like, which is maybe a badge of honor that that we don't get to show because nobody knows. Because while that's going on in the VW scene, people aren't seeing that. All they go is like, oh yeah, so and so sold out and he's driving an import now. But it's like, listen, racing is racing, and when and when it's in your blood, and you want to be competitive. You do what you can. It would have been. It, would anybody have been mad if Volkswagen showed up with a Beetle and said, "Look, we're we're going to support drag racing and we want to we're going to be king of the imports over here"? Nobody would have been mad. No, it'd have been like the most. It would have been best. Like it boggles my mind, man. Like you're in there with an old, you know, 1967 Squareback and Volkswagen's like turning no attention to it. NHRA is like, this is where the money's at. These are where the kids are. So we're going to come in and. We're the 800-pound gorilla. We're going to move in on the whole import scene and create big events nationwide. You get in there. You get your sponsorship. You start running. And now, how long How long are you running in the import scene for now with Toyota? So we went uh, 2003 um, through 2007. So we had four years under uh, NHRA Sport Compact. They, they transitioned because... They used to call it import, but then they went to Sport Compact because Chevy, Ford, sure. they, they wanted to call it Sport Compact. Yeah, those guys, were they, were they, let me ask this question. Was Chevy and Ford late to the game? No, they were right there, but but uh, Chevy, Ford uh, put just a ton of money into it. And so they, they, like anything, the rules lean towards that combination. Toward, toward the imports? Well, towards... The Chevy combination, uh, but Honda, Toyota, Mazda, everybody could compete. But right. but you know everything kind of leans that you, way. You think the NHRA kind of gave a wink to the American companies, like we're gonna we're gonna you know lean things a little bit your way. Well, that that's where you know money talks. So the money money money, money was coming there, <laughs> and so uh, fortunately for us uh, at the time, Wally Parks was still around, who was the founder of NHRA, mm-hmm. and Wally. Uh, was a true uh, visionary. And what I say that is he could see what was coming down the road. And he realized that import drag racing was the future of drag racing for the kids because the this generation uh, needed to have... They're, they're, they weren't interested in the V8s anymore. Right. It's the four or the six cylinders well, listen, turbo. With, with the price of gas and all that stuff, it makes sense. Who wants a v, who want who wants to drive around a V eight if you have the ability to have horsepower, performance, and fuel economy if you choose to keep your foot out of it. You know what I mean? Correct. And so it, it was it was really really good. Uh, money was good. Uh, the events were wonderful. Um, and then Wally died in two thousand seven, and we went to the. He died, I want to say, uh, our last event was November of 2007. He died in, like, October. And we went to the banquet uh, at the end of the year, 2007, and they were saying, yep, uh, next year we're doing this, this, and this. We're going to expand. We're going to do whatever. And then a month later, um, 
NHRA says we're pulling the plug on the whole thing. On the on the sport compact. on the sport compact after and so and how big was it? I mean was it big was it it was still big drawing big crowds yeah, at uh, especially the East Coast events we'd go to uh, Florida we'd go to Atco New Jersey we'd go to English Town New Jersey which they shut that track down now uh, but they'd have thirty thousand forty thousand people in the stands are you kidding it was awesome uh, first time we ever made the trip back uh, in two thousand one. We show up in uh, Florida, Moroso Motorsports Park. Uh, very big uh, Puerto Rican influence down there. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. Lo- they love their rotaries. Puerto Ricans don't play. Yeah. <laughs> and we we roll our car off the trailer. And like I said, there's, I mean, it's standing room only. There's people everywhere. We roll our car out of the deal. And the sign's pretty new at this point. No, this this is the Volkswagen in 2001. We're still running the oh, Volkswagen. Oh, you're still running the Volkswagen. This, this is back in 2001 when we first made our first trip back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we roll the car out. And like 10 guys put hands on the car and help us roll it out. And we get it stopped. And probably 20 guys come up and give me a great big hug and say, Hey, thank you for coming out here. We've seen this car run on TV. We've seen it. In the magazines, thank you for coming out here. It was the most surreal experience. And, and this is the ever. The, the Calic Express. No, this is, is the the, the bullet. The bullet. Yeah. So, because that car had has has run. How many passes do you have on that car? You think? Uh, thousands. Thousands of passes. I mean, it, it's uh, when I get uh, into it, it's like putting on an old glove. You know, I've I've yeah. made so many laps. I know every squeak. Every, you know, you can tell if squeaks too high pitch, like something's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong. Something's <laughs> not right. Uh, but the warmth that we got from those race fans was unbelievable. Yeah. And then when we made the transition, that's uh, to Toyota uh, three years later. That's the reason that we painted the car, the, the Corolla, the same as the bullet. So if you look at the paint jobs, it matches they, uh, because Toyota wanted to pull over the the they rec- know, recognition they wanted to know of you. who that is yeah, it was kelly you know Lacey. hey that that's scott yeah. you know we know that's scott kelly yeah um so that's why the corolla is painted the same way when we made the after the import ended and toyota wanted to stay with us and they put us under the scion brand and we built the xb uh they wanted a whole different marketing and that's why we went completely crazy with that sb that xb paint right, job yeah I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Um, and, and so let, let's finish talking about, so all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's packed, it's going crazy. And for whatever political reasons, NHRA says, we're pulling the plug on Sport Compact. Yep. What year is this? Uh, 2007. Let's see, what car came out in 2000? Did, did the Camaro come back out in 2000? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's so crazy because sometimes you want, you cannot manufacture like what we've done with Volkswagens. And when I say we, I'm talking about the people before us where it was like this cool little quirky car where you figured out a way to make it, to tweak it, make it a little faster. And then it becomes a grassroots thing. And that you cannot manufacture that case in point. It's like when the manufacturers start thinking they're going to direct the way things go. I'm telling you right now, drag racing as a whole is like dying. I mean, it's dying and it's sad because it's like, I know tons of dudes that would love to be drag racing and do that kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, you show up in a Volkswagen and everybody's kind of giving you like, oh, you in here for, and then they could have 
evolved it with that, but with NHRA pulling out of it, doesn't seem to make any sense. But then again, if you're talking millions of dollars in corporate sponsorship and they're like, Hey, we really want to put money back into the V8 side. But I mean, when you're talking traction controlled cars that you can put anybody in, they can flog the throttle and if they can cut it, if they get lucky and catch a good light, I mean, but now the cars on the street have so much power that they have to have all this track. I mean, I, I was at a dude's house the other day. This guy's like 80 and he's got a, a ZL1 Camaro, you know, 750 horsepower. And the things, it has to be, the guy's 80. He's retired, and he's, but he's got this thing. And it's all computer controlled because if it's like those new, the new Can-Am that I have. I have that, uh, the Can-Am X3. That's little side by side's got 170 horsepower. And we think, like, oh, 100, like you were talking 14 seconds fast. 170 horsepower is a lot of, a lot of horsepower. You know how I know? Because if you go to the Can Am dealership, they're stacked in the back all wadded up. Because people, they, they, they don't have electronic control on those things. They have two keys to control the power. But a lot of people think that, that they're just that good. You know what I mean? And, and it really takes some skill to drive it. And, uh, and so, when you look at these cars that have this unrealistic horsepower, you can have seven horsepower and air conditioning. It's awesome. It's wonderful to think that, but it's not grassroots. It's an $80,000 Camaro. I mean, why they ditch the Cavalier. If, if, if when the, when GM starts thinking they're smarter than the average consumer and they're trying to influence the consumer, I think they, if they would have been smart and paid attention to that import scene, they could be, there could be small fuel efficient, import because you go to these vape meets that they have here in town there's no chevys there it's all you've got the brs's you've got old lexuses you've got all this other stuff because the japanese car culture is strong and then the american car culture they're they're, they'll try from their vantage point of the corporation to kind of manipulate it which seems to be it's it's like volkswagen with not supporting the they would have a, a, a a winning hit of a car if they went to the enthusiasts and said Draw your car and paper. We want this. Here's the toolbox. Because that's what we do. You know, it's like with my Gia, I could have changed drivetrain in there, but I wanted to do all VW stuff, but I picked like Type 4 motor. I went big block. You know, I did Berg 5-speed transmission. I could have got a Porsche transmission, but I I did Berg 5-speed. I'm trying to use the stuff that if Volkswagen came to you in 1968, 69, said, blank slate, use anything that we have available and build a car. And if, and I think if they, if they approach their marketing that way, it'd just be a different deal. Cause it so bums me out because, you know, we, as VW guys, we love drag racing. We love to see drag racing. It's part of the, it's part of the whole thing. You know, I mean, think about how, how Volkswagen is, is like, it's cross-platformed all over. You've got off-road races, off-road, off-road racing was started by Volkswagens. You know what I mean? The Baja 1000, all that kind of stuff. And you've got, um, you know, huge in a drag racing was dominating. The, I mean, let's talk about your dad for a second. I saw a picture on the internet. You got a stack of Wallies in the garage. Indeed. For, for those that don't know what a Wally is, tell them because a lot of VW guys don't know what an NHRA Wally is. Tell them what an NHRA Wally is. Uh, Wally is the the trophy that you win if you win a national event uh, for your class. And for a drag racer, if you get one Wally in your lifetime, that's like Big winning, deal. winning an Academy Award. I've got an Academy Award, Nobel Prize, and uh, I've been very fortunate. I have uh, a dozen. Uh, Dad has one, and so we've got thirteen combined. And so I've been very fortunate. Six of them were uh, were won with Volkswagen Power. Really? Yep. 
and who can six say of them. That? Who can say that? Uh, not a lot of guys. There's a few guys out there that won yeah. Wally's uh, with, with video prayer. Yeah. Yep. Um, in fact, my my very favorite uh, drag racing day of all time in 30 years came right here in Vegas. Yeah. It was uh, the second to the last event in 2007 uh-huh. here in Vegas. Uh, night race. It was in August. It was miserable. <laughs> Freaking hot. Yep. Absolutely miserable. Uh, Dad was running a class called Quick 16 mm-hmm. in his car, the... Calic Express? Calic Express. Hold on. He's out here in August in an air-cooled car drag racing? Air-cooled. That's a man. Yep. That's a man's man right there. So I'm in the Corolla running uh, all-motor, uh, pro-stock four-cylinder, and we end up... Uh, I won my class, uh-huh. won a Wally. He won his class and won a Wally. And... In doing that, we joined a very elite group of guys like Force, Bernstein, that father-son winning a national event on the same weekend together. That's unbelievable. So it, it was it was the greatest drag, day of drag racing ever. Oh, my gosh. I mean, can you, I mean it's, it's one of those things where it's like it, it, it's something not accomplished by a lot of people, and, it's, and you can only get there with passion. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be what you're set out to do because y- you can fake the funk, but you can't like you got to not everybody can do that. You can give uh, Listen, the off-road race game is dollars. Okay. It's just a rich guy's playground. And it's like, but I see a lot of rich guys get in it. And all of a sudden, like, here's this guy to know where he's got, he's got parents that are millionaires. And this guy's got a full trophy truck race team, and everything. And the guy finishes last every time. And it's like, uh, you know, still got to drive it. You still got it. Yeah. That's the thing you st- you still have to be able to drive it. And listen, even a broken clock is right two times a day. So you could get lucky and win, but it it's, it's gotta be such a satisfying feeling to like, I mean, think about how it's all come together, which is, which is exciting for me. It's like, you're a typical teenage guy, drag racing your car in the street, just goofing around, whatever. And you never really pay attention to your dad's history. Like it, it doesn't, fire anything up in you because you're it's your era this is the cars dudes are driving in your high school this is kind of what everybody's doing and then you get whooped by a bug it flips a switch and you're like i gotta go do that and your dad's like hey man that's my game let's do this yep you know what I, I mean what are the odds of that and then for that to evolve into getting to win a uh, to win a wally and and you and your dad win the same night, you know, like, like are able to do that. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's like, that's movies are written about stuff like that. It was absolutely surreal. And it's a, it's a dream to to have that happen. And what was funny is after I went first, so I was, uh, they ran two classes before me. My final was the last pro class to go down the track. And then two, two classes later was dad was in the final. So I was just getting out of the car and it's like, I swear to you, it was 115 at night. It's midnight. <laughs> yeah. It's midnight. Yeah, it was. And I'm just dripping sweat. You're sweating from the you bottom know. of your eyelids. Yeah. ESPN's got a, a microphone in my, my face, asking me questions. And I hear out of the, you know, Larry Kelly lining up to the, and so I go, hold on just a second. And I was looking down track and, and here he comes coming down the track and I see the wind light and I went just as crazy as like as if you when won. I won, it was like, holy smokes, we just we just won on the same weekend. Wow. You know, it was it was crazy. 
That's unbelievable, man. That, I mean, what a, what a what what a great way. Like, if anything else happens after that, it's like that's a story that goes on in your family for. And some people that that, but I think most people that listen to this are, are such good car enthusiasts. Like, we get it. Like, we get the thing. And some of us have our dads that are involved in it with it, and some of us don't. And it's but but like having that connection. My connection is gonna be with my son. My son, my son's on a mission right now. He's gone for the next year and a half. But since he's a little kid, when I bought my when I bought my bus and started building it, man, he was there every step of the way. And he's been gone. He reaches out to me, shoots me, and you're like, "Hey, Dad, check out this car that I saw. Check this out." So like, he's a gearhead, and it's like the proudest thing ever for me. And and I used to think like, ah, you know, if somebody offers me a jackload of money, they can buy the bus, or they can do this, or they can do that. And I think about it, and I go. I can't ever sell that bus, man. Like, but like my son, my son has memories. My family has memories in my bus. That's been like the one constant in our family. And so when my son like has his family, the natural place that bus is going to go is to my boy because he's a car guy. And it, and it's like, I've never had anything like that. That meant something to me because it was my dad's because you know, my dad, my, my dad passed away, you know, uh, 15 years ago. And, um, you know, he, he, he didn't have a lot of stuff and, you know, he left me a half a pack of cigarettes, I think in the will, I'm not even sure it was that, but I love my dad. We got a lot of memories and stuff, but there was no family heirlooms because it just, there just wasn't. So, and now that, that I've had this opportunity to share that with my son, it's like, I think about that and I think like, man, he, that's like, that bus will be irreplaceable to him because of our history with it together. And like the same with you and your dad. And I just think that's, I think it's so awesome and it's like the the passion that we have that starts with like just a a raw car like I love cars they're fast love the smell of gasoline love all the stuff like my wife my wife's, my wife's not a huge car person she loves the smell of gasoline do you know why when they went on family vacations back in the 70s stuff dad's spilling gas the car they're but the smell is like road trips going somewhere fun doing that stuff so my wife has this like I love the smell of gasoline and she's she she's she's uh involved with car stuff she's helped me work on cars begrudgingly but i kind of force her to and when she's done i'm like you're so awesome for helping me and you know whatever you know i've got to play the game but um but it's like cars cars are such a huge staple in the american culture and and it's it's just i love it man i I just love the connection that it builds with 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 our families and when we're able to do something like that and like it started with just a kid wanting to go racing, just wanting to go fast. You know what I mean? So, man, that's that, that's awesome. So and have uh, you know basically thirty years of oh. you know hanging with your dad. You know, twelve to eighteen events a year. Well, you traveling know, around the country. You, you know, we, we you can't replace that. You, I mean, well, it's just unbelievable. Road trips are with your dad the best thing ever, man. And and think about this. Everybody in the podcast listening right now is like, "Well, we got to get Dad on the podcast, right?" So we got we got to get Dad on the podcast because we got to get Dad's story. You know what I mean? I mean, these are things that are like unbelievably invaluable, and to get that's maybe this is the reason. When, this is when people drink during the podcast. When I bring up why I started the podcast, one of the reasons I started the podcast was to document some of this history that. Unless you can sit down with you for an hour and hammer this out, no one's going to know this, but your close circle of friends. But now that we we get this story out there, man, it and I'll put a lot of links on the on the website to the YouTube videos of you running the drag racing and some of the stuff like that. Is that ESPN one online? I think it, I'll, I'll probably find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything that uh, Scott Kelly, Toyota, Scott Kelly, Scion, 
those are all still on YouTube. Um, one of the most fun ones on there, the uh, uh, Scion sent us back to, uh, we got to run Indy, the big go. Yeah. Uh, NHRA deal. And we did that back in uh, 2010. Now for, people, now, for people that don't know what Indy, the big go, like break that down, like in a summary of what it is. Uh, basically, it's like the Indy 500 for drag racing. It's it's the biggest race of the year. Uh, it's it's held in Indianapolis. And for drag racing, usually a national event is four days. So uh, a couple of days of qualifying, then uh, race on Sunday. Indy. They'll have upwards of 1,200 cars, and it's a seven-day event. So wow. you're out there, and we were running uh, uh, Superstock with uh, the Scion. And so they allow basically 180 Superstockers to show up, and then they cap it. And everybody shows up for this. Like, everybody's trying to get in. Yeah, you want to get in. So we, we got in in uh, 2010. So 180 Superstock cars. Uh, trying to qualify for 128 spots. So you're not guaranteed a spot on race day. So this is like the Lollapalooza of drag racing, like the biggest event. Bar none. And it's actually coming up uh, here uh, next weekend. So And still, they're having that many cars turn oh, out, yeah. and, it's, and it's just gigantic. It, it's crazy. They'll start, uh, uh, let's see, today's, uh, what, Saturday? Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll start on Tuesday of next week and go through Monday. Jeez Louise. Um, no more imports though there. Uh, well, it, it depends on who shows up, but I mean, it, so does the NHRA still have a class or the, all the classes are just dial in like time classes or do they, they, they no longer have specific import events? Uh, no, not for, for specific import, but one of the, uh, when the sport compact, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to Indy here in just yeah, a second. Yeah. When, when the NHRA killed the sport compact series, so we had no place to race anymore. So, so you got all these racers, all, all these racers, all these cars, no place to race. So I went to NHRA and I said, Hey, uh, where can we fit in your divisional and national events? I said, you don't have a class for us. And they go, well, we don't have a class for you. We really don't want one. And I said, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I said, yeah, that's weird. I've got a factory sponsor. I've got to have a place to race or I don't have a factory sponsor. So it took them a year so uh, to actually write us into the rules. So 2009, we got our own class within Superstock. And Superstock has roughly about 80 separate classes Jeez. based on, you know, uh, pounds per cubic inch. Wheelbase. Wheelbase. Like- uh, all... So basically, if you it's have got a car. Eight classes because everybody's like, well, that guy's got two inch longer wheelbase. I want my own class. Yep. And so they, they've written specific rules for basically every style of car that you can imagine. And so we finally got our own class in NHS. So then I could run the divisionals. I can run the nationals, winter nationals, the nationals here in Vegas, uh, world finals, or any national event around the country. So at, when, when they burned this year after Wally's death, did they uh, did a lot of the import guys just kind of give up? Like, well, I guess this is done. I'm moving on to something else. Yeah, or? they they parked their cars. They had nowhere to race. So, it, it like I said, it it basically turned off a generation of drag racing because NHRA basically turned their back on these these people, and and they've turned their back on the factories that were that were back in the and it made zero sense whatsoever. So finally, 
after a year of, of basically uh, badgering NHRA, they gave me a place to race. And so we started running NHRA in Superstock. Um, and so now we are the only import front-wheel drive car on the property when we when we roll up to these events. Really? And our first national event, which was uh, Winter Nationals 2009, I pull into the staging lanes. And like I said, we're the only import front-wheel drive. And we had the wheelie bar on it. Mm-hmm. And so... Every one of these guys is coming up going, hey, your slicks are on the wrong end. Hey, why do you need a wheelie bar if it's front-wheel drive car, jackass? And so I was going to explain to him. I go, "Hmm, let's just make a lap first. Let's make a lap, and we'll just shut them up real quick. So I I do my burnout, uh, put it up on the chip. I I blaze down the quarter mile. We think we ran like 968 at 146. (laughs) And when we came around to the staging lanes for the next round of qualifying every one of those guys came up and go wow how big's a turbo in this thing and, and, said, and i go well it's just normally aspirated engine what how big is it and i go out well, to 158 cubic inches what it no turbo i go no it's normally aspirated and they're all we thought this was going to be a joke this car is no joke and so once we made a lap and then they go instead of joking they said well why do you have a wheelie bar on a front-wheel drive car? I said, well, if you look at the design of the car, like a... Like is the a, car, is like, the car that, that Loomis Yeah, Loomis, Loomis and, and, and uh, us built. Mm-hmm. I said, if, if you look at the car, I said, every car wants to roll back on their rear tires. Right, weight transfer. Weight transfer. I said, it's no different in a front-wheel drive car. I said, so what yeah, when we... when you hit the gas, the front nose comes up. So what we did is we designed the car to roll back what this wheelie bar does is we run it just off the deck, maybe about a, a quarter inch off the deck. But when that hits, it's like a gigantic lever where it shifts all the weight right back to those front tires. I said, so I can plant my front tires within one or two rotations of the tire. I said, so it's basically a traction bar. Yeah. And so once I explained it to them, it's like it's they genius. looked at the car and they go, man, this thing's well designed. And and so once once we kind of introduced them to the new technology right they were they were fans yeah and then now uh most of these cars would run you know high nines low tens and super stock so we're one of the faster cars with a four-cylinder so now no one wants to run us in qualifying because we're out running them that's unfair so yeah it, it was uh, it was quite a transition going over to that side because we're the only one because you guys were because to clarify you guys had separate events. They were import only events. Import NHRA only events. import only events. So it was like, it's almost like the NHRA was keeping the two divisions separately. Separate. Which doesn't, which, I mean, I, I can understand the reason why they did it because maybe if their NHRA regular events are really that packed. But I'm telling you right now, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a casual observer of suit, of certain things. And I would go, and I got a couple beefs with the NHRA events that I've seen. Like when I go down here, it's ridiculously expensive. It was like 140 bucks to go to that Winter National, whatever. I can't remember what it was. Somebody, one of my friends would be like, yeah, I'm not going. It's crazy expensive to go to this thing. I mean, like outrageously expensive. And then if you do get in, like if you get a free pass, you get to go in there or something, those stands aren't packed. You know what I mean? It, yes. It's, it's, uh, it, and, and they're, they're much longer. Our, our sport compact events were always two days. So you'd, you'd qualify Saturday, race Sunday. Um, an NHRA event, they have so many classes that 
they're four day events. So it's, it's, you gotta, it's a time commitment. Right. So you get there on Wednesday, you do your tech, you qualify Thursday, you qualify Friday morning, and then, uh, you start eliminations Friday afternoon. So then and when you got to cycle through 25 classes, yeah, you got to cycle through, uh, uh, just a bunch of classes. You know, you've got probably 80 cars in super stock. You've got 80 cars in stock. You've got, so all these different classes, they got to cycle through. So it's a, it's a time commitment too. And so you could be there four days if you make it all, you know, you go a couple rounds and you make it all the way to Sunday. Uh, but the, the national events are, are kind of geared around top fuel, funny car pro stock. So they start qualifying on Friday. Uh, they'll get two on Friday, two on Saturday, and then top fuel, funny car, their eliminations are on Sunday. So by the time we get to Sunday, we've already gone through probably four rounds of eliminations. So if we run on Sunday, we're pretty deep in the show. Yeah. So circling back, dovetailing back to the national event in Indy. Mm -hmm. So it's three or four times bigger than any national event. That's why it's a seven dayer. So we show up to who can take seven days off to go do that. It's yeah, it's, it's a commitment. People committed to racing. Correct. Um, and so we show up, get through tech and, uh, at, at Indy, because it's the biggest event, they have what they call class runoffs to where, um, you can, if you win your class, you get a Wally and then you get a Wally for, for, so there's two Wallys up for grabs. So we qualify, we win class in super stock. So I won a Wally at Indy in wow. 2010. And that's probably my second favorite day of racing. And so what happens now with the Toyota sponsorship with, so that's 2010. And then what, how's that, how does that devolve? So, uh, in a, between 2008 to 2010, uh, Toyota, because now we have a class in NHRA, they're, um, happy with what we're doing in the direction that we're going, keeping it in front of, you know, national events, uh, television, they want to stick with us. So they say, Hey, we're, we're going to pull you out of Toyota corporate, which was the the Corolla Mm -hmm. body. And they say, Hey, would you go, we're going to put you under the Scion brand. And so I go meet with the Scion people and sit down and they've got, you know, three or four different, uh, styles of car. Uh, initially, I wanted to build the TC because mm-hmm. it's a little more aerodynamic. Um, but they say, hey, we've never built one, but would you be interested in building an XB? And I go, well, I got to be honest. I said, you guys are paying the bills. I said, I'll build whatever you want. If, if you want an XB, I'll build you an XB. Yeah, right. And it'll be the coolest XB you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so they said, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do uh, a four-year deal if you build an XB. I said, done. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we, uh, the hard part was, uh, basically there's no carbon fiber Barts for an XB. Yeah. So basically, so yeah, go figure. (laughs) So basically like the Corolla, when we had to build that, there was no factory parts that no one built a Corolla body. There's no TRD parts for the Corolla. Right. So, uh, what we did is we took, uh, uh, we ordered up all of the body parts Mm -hmm. from the factory and basically kind of tacked them together and made our own molds for carbon fiber 
and then had all these carbon fiber parts made. Wow. So roof, doors. Now, when you're doing that, is, is Toyota paying for that or Scion's paying for that? Yeah, it's all, this is all Toyota money. That's nice. So we, you, they tell us what we want. We build it, get to race it. So you call they, up and they, say, yeah, I need uh, full exterior sheet metal for the car, and we're going to need it to go to this carbon fiber shop. Here's the bill. Like, Yeah, w- uh, the way uh, sponsorships kind of work is, is um, you sit down beginning of the year, and you ask them, okay, what events do you want to go to this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what do you want to hit? What's your, your marketing plan? And then, so we pick the 14 or 15 events that they want us to be at. Um, being that we've raced for 30 years, we know what it costs to travel a car, ship it, wh- whatever we need to do to get to these events. Sure. And so we say, okay, it's going to cost $30,000 just to get the car around the country. We need X amount for entry oh. fees. We need X amount for gas. I mean, right down to the how many gallons of race fuel we're going to use a year. And then of course our time, time and labor and we lay out a budget and they go, yep, good. Uh, Here's the check. And Robert, what they do is they give it to us in like three installments, three installments and, you know, pay us as it goes. Yeah. But that's, so that's nice. And so what, what, en- what ends up happening with the Scion deal? Uh, so at the, uh, at the, it's probably 2016, uh, everything's going pretty darn good. And I mean, you're still racing NHRA. You're still doing good in the class, keeping it out front. Correct. So we're, we're doing su- uh, really well. Um, and then two things happen. Uh, one, um, Scion Toyota decides to kill the Scion brand. So 2016 was the last time they manufactured Scions. A couple of the cars that uh, FRS and I think in I. The IQ, I think they transitioned to the uh, Toyota Toyota name. And then so there is no more Scions. And so that was one. Two, we were going to go back to Toyota, but um, Toyota decided uh, they're they're based in Torrance, California, and they've got a gigantic campus, probably a a mile square of just Toyota stuff. Really? And they uh, were moving their uh, operation to Texas. So they put every sponsorship on hold that was not a multi-year deal extending past 2016. So they said, "Hey, listen, uh, we're not we're not going to renew any sponsorships past 2016. If you can hang on for another year, once we get settled in Texas, maybe we can bring it back on board." Um, and so that that deal kind of came to came to an end. Yeah, that's great. So you st- do you still have the car? Uh, no, we actually just sold it about six months ago to uh, a racer in uh, Colorado. So he can just privateer that car now? Yeah, so he, he bought, uh, I sold uh, the car, uh, three engines, three transmissions. Uh, we had a, a 30-foot trailer that it would travel in. Uh, we sold everything. Guy came, picked it up. Off it went. And so now he'll race NHRA events and you've got... He can. And you've got the Volkswagens. And so what do you, what events you run with the Volkswagens now? So uh, I'll, I'll step back just a little bit sure. on the Volkswagens. Uh, while we were running for um, Toyota, it was probably 2009-ish is when um, 
the Triple Crown series in Southern California kind of started picking up steam, and that's when they created uh, Superstock, mm-hmm. which was you know kind of a fun class, and so it kind of fit with what I already had. And then Dad had it as well, so Dad and I go, hey, we can run these our our VWs, yeah, let's do it. Three three events a year, no problem. It's local. So <laughs> this will be cheap. This will be fun. Said no racer ever. Like <laughs> indeed. So we uh, we started racing, kind of doing double duty, where we'd run the triple crown. Uh, I was gonna jump on the BRS, the Pro Gas, because mm-hmm. it was similar, but they had some changes in the or some differences in the rules that that just made it too hard. Made to it too hard to flip flop. So I I said, hey, I'm already running the Toyota. I'm gonna just gonna run these three events. So Dad. Started running his car. I was running my car. We were kind of having fun doing both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after 2009. Uh, so you're racing the Scion full-time for Toyota. And you're racing on off weekends. You're racing the Bugs. Right. The, so or the, the Bug and the Fastback. Those those three three events, Dad and I were running the Volkswagens again. And so then I. Dad went, just can't be the crew chief, bro. He's got to drive a little yeah, bit. Every well, he, he's still got the Bug. <laughs> he's and so he's still tuning, uh, tuning the Toyota. And building engines and so does Dad know how to work on the software and everything? Yes, like to tune the the Motec. I I did a lot of the Motec, but Dad uh, Dad assisted on the the Motec stuff. But really, but I took to the Motec myself, and I I just I love tuning on Motec. So you, so it was you, so easy. So you're my guy if I get a Motec set up in my car. <laughs> I can plug in. I can tell you what uh, what's going on. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I, I I wonder is there a, is there a huge advantage to like. If you're, let's say hypothetically, because as we're talking about this, my gears are turning, right? My gears are turning in my head and I'm thinking, I've got a square back that I've been playing with the idea of, of doing a Subaru motor in it. And I thought, well, how cool would that be just to go to like test and tune? And if you could get a Subaru water cooled just for the technological purposes, so you could actually run, I mean, you're going to start with 170 base horse. And if you could get a full street square back to go to the track and, and, you know, I don't know, what, what could you do? 11 second pass in a square back. Sure. I mean, how, how, how many people's minds would be, but then you, then you're in this, this, you're in this whirlpool of confusion because it's like the VW guys kind of hate you and they're going to tell you that it's unfair that you get a Subaru motor in there, but the origins of the design of the boxer motors Volkswagen. And it's like, you know, it's the marriage of the thing. Cause I'm sitting here thinking like, man, how, how nice would that be just to take that Subaru motor and go Motec injection on it, turbo the thing, even still, you build a nice little box for the top of that thing. You just get a bigger radiator, right? To keep it cooler and to intercool the thing. And it's like a guy could really get a, get a square back to be really ripping quick. And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, cause two, two seconds ago, I was like, I, on that engine stands, a 20, 2332, that's been sitting there for like five years, and I'm like, eh, what am I going to do with the square back? That'd be fun. Yeah. You you, never... Pin so, your ears back. So let me ask this question. But that car wouldn't be allowed to run Triple Crown or BRS. No. Because it's water-cooled. You'd, you'd have to run in any of the uh, like the bracket classes. I could run in a sportsman class. Sure. It's Volkswagen. And just get everybody math. Yeah, like, absolutely. Guy, that dang consistent guy with that reliable car. and I don't even think he opened the engine compartment today. <laughs> it's just like... Even put in a uh, an automatic. Call it a day. That would, that would really turn them on their ear. Man, they'd get so upset. They'd get well, they have the the original Type 3 automatics just make that thing up, man. So I, I'm curious, on the drag racing side, why why don't you, 
are some of the VW guys, are any of the VW guys using two speeds in their cars or no? Or are they just too, they just suck up too much power? Is suck up too, there, there's not that I know of. Okay. Uh, so, any type of automatic is, is too much horsepower. So, so that's the reason they don't do those. And so you're, so, so we'll get back to your story because I'm sure someone's pulling their hair out like, he sidetracked him again. So you and dad are still racing both series. You're racing more triple crown because there's reasons you can't, you can't flip plop the car easy enough to race both series, which would right. be fun. And then. You were you were getting to the point of where the, um, why the whole scion thing. So this, so we talked about why the scion thing ended. Well, uh, along with the when I was running both cars, mm-hmm. um, I had already been through the uh, the hassle of dealing with NHRA to get a class into Superstock, mm-hmm. and as I looked at the rules for uh, Superstock Volkswagen. I thought to myself, man, this would this class would fit really nicely into Superstock NHRA, and like we had mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, uh, NHRA basically rode out Volkswagens for drag racing. So there's this is back in like the mid eighties, mid eighties, like yeah, that's there, there, there's no place there was no place for them to run on national or divisional level drag racing, and being that I've already already knew the guys to push it through. Mm-hmm. I said, Hey, I'm going to try to get this through. And so I submitted it to committee and, you know, of course they immediately shut it down. And so I, I just basically was, I, I made hundreds of calls. Just wouldn't stop. Wouldn't stop. And, and when you're in committee, it's, there's seven divisions in NHRA. So every division has to have a, a say in what's before they'll approve pu- it. Approve it. So I'm calling all these division directors and uh, I mean, until they finally relented, same day, finally shut this guy up. Right. So give this dude a class. They, they gave the, the Volkswagens a specific class so that no other car could jump in and dominate and run them out again. Cause that's what happened is it was always pound per cubic inch, but they'd let a Chevy have a little bit more of advantage. So it kind of pushed the Volkswagens out. So now, uh, you can go into the NHRA rulebook today. today, and there's the uh, best, the NHRA's best kept secret. Uh, it's called uh, Superstock VX SSVX, and the rules are written specifically for air cooled Volkswagens, four speed transmissions. And it's so air cooled, air cooled Volkswagens. No one else can jump in. So NHRA has a place for you to race if you wanted to go. Run the Winter Nationals. You could go run the Winter Nationals. So now Winter Nationals are like a qualifying, like it's 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 a big event, like a qualifying whatever. It's a national event. Okay, so if if you go there and you're the only guy in the class, you're the only guy in the class. But usually, no, there's, no. are there people in the class in that class, or, or or is it bracket class? Well, it's it's all bracket. So that's the thing is, <clears throat> that's why there's 80 classes in Superstock. Is once you. So the the eighty classes are all times. All, all Everything's time. what half a second. Well, it, it's just it's it's built to it's the class that. and time, class and time. Right. So what what NHRA did is they give it a uh, a minimum that you have to run. So for instance, in SSVX, right, which is the VW class, VW class, the minimum that you have to run is eleven fifty. So if you run eleven sixty, you you can run eleven sixty, but you have to dial in 1150. Right. So you can run much faster than that, depending on your combination. Don't need to. So what you do is you want to build a car that runs about... 1090s? Uh, 1090s, 11.0s, 
uh, but it has to be, you want to be consistent. So you cut a light and it's all bracket racing. So, so is it easier? Let me ask this question. Is it easier to detune? Like when you were, when you, when you transitioned into the, into the import scene, was it easier to take your car and say, yeah, I'm just going to punch it, drive it like I do. We're just going to add X amount of pounds. Yeah. I mean, is it, was it easier to control your time doing that? What we did is whenever you run in a heads up class, you're squeezing the absolute most you can out of that engine. So it's running on the ragged edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you only get so many lap, eight to 10 laps. Got to service it. When you bracket race, you don't, you don't have to be on the ragged edge. Right. You can overbuild it and then, and then throttle back or put a rev limiter or something. Right. And, and so like we didn't have to, we had a, uh, we called it our mule, mule motor uh, for uh, the import stuff where instead of getting uh, on the ragged edge, we'd make about 420 horsepower to the wheels in the mm-hmm. Toyota. Wow. And so that's probably 460 to the crank. And so our mule motor, we didn't put in as much compression. And so it only got about 380 the wheels, but we could run it for eight events because it wasn't beating it up. Right. What's the displacement on that, CCs wise? Uh, 2.6 liters, 2,600. A 2.6 liter CC, which comes out to 150 cubic inches. 158 cubic inches. 158. 2,600 is 158 cubic inch. Wow. So for when we when we made the transition to more of a bracket racing style, mm-hmm. we just detuned it so that we could run under the number and just stay and then stay consistent. In. Yeah. And so, it, so all right. So I'm gonna ask a question now because the gears were turning. And I'm thinking. So there's a guy listening to this podcast somewhere, probably I don't know, alone in his room somewhere. I don't want to get more detailed than that. Looking at a picture of you and a picture of me. <laughs> but now, he's now thinking, you're scaring me. <laughs> but he's thinking. He's got two sock puppets. One each. <laughs> One's Bill. One is Scott. So, but he's thinking, I want to build a performance motor and I want as fast as I can on the street and as, and, and to have the longest life possible. What's his engine combination you, you have him build and based on detuning and knowing what you're doing, like, Hey, you want a fat 13 seconds is dang fast. Okay. In the drag race world, it's not that fast. On the street, that's dang fast. Lightning fast. Yeah. So what's a combination you think would be 13? Is there is there a combination that's 13 seconds and reliable and drivable? You know, that's uh, that's always the million-dollar question. Right. Um, yeah, you can build them to where they're, they're reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to have as low compression as you can because you want to run it on pump gas, mm-hmm. you know. 92 maybe yeah um so kind of a lower compression uh displacement 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 so if you want to you want to have a bit like a bigger engine Mm -hmm. you know 2.4 2.5 2.6 low rpm running so the the higher the rpm the more things go wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, so well you know i've i've had aj sims on the podcast you know AJ? Oh yeah. So I don't know if you heard his episode. He's got that fastback. That's a big girl. That's all stock in all her glory. He says he drives that car from LA, Sacramento, takes the spare tire out from under the hood, and the car runs eleven seconds in the quarter mile. Then drives it back to 
but okay but here's the reality he's in the business it's a two point it's a 2400 cc motor i think it is and and it's turbo and it oh again and it's turbo so so okay so back to this question now let me ask this question since you're talking naturally aspirated what about the bottle so could a guy build a car that let's say he wants to go out on a friday night test and tune and click off some 13s could a guy run a 15 second car and with the bottle squeeze two seconds out of it? Is is, is that a realistic jump? I, I have or or no or you have zero, zero experience, experience with, with, nitrous. with nitrous. Zero. I have no idea because because all the fast V8 guys, like all those guys you see on TV, Outlaws and all those guys, those guys are running multi stage nitrous setups. Like I, I don't even know, 14. I don't even know, I don't, who knows. Could be two stages. Could be 19 stages. More stages than I know. But so and that so that's a whole nother world. Yeah, the, everything I know about uh, nitrous, I learned from Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. The, it's a button on yeah, top button of the deal. Yeah, button on top of the deal. And you probably hit that just gears 13, 12, 14, and 16. Every, yeah. every positive. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, every, I know every, I know zero about that. Gear. So yeah. I, I have no, I can't answer any of those so, questions. So, so, um, so someone comes to you and is like, give me the recipe. I want to run 13. I want to, I want to have, because that's the question. Everybody wants a daily drivable 13 second you know, reliable car that they could drive from here to California. I mean, those are, those are tall orders because, again, what everyone fails to realize is they're looking at this through the eyes of a 2019 technology. And the basis of our technology is 1930. Exactly. 1930s it's like, technology. It's like how many – do you see – here's a perfect analogy. Man, I come up with the best. You guys love me out there in podcast land. Perfect analogy. That's like that's like flathead Fords being relevant in the drag race scene today. I don't think they are. I don't think that there's not guys wringing their neck and getting more power out of them. Like we're still doing with Volkswagen. I mean, maybe there's a huge part. That's why VW people are so weird, maybe. Because there's a whole part of the world that's looking at these guys like, you guys are still beating on them horizontally opposed air-cooled motors and, and trying to. And But the reality is it's respectable power. It's respectable power. It's fast, faster than a lot of stuff. And you can still build super fast street cars. With air cooled horizontally opposed motors, fairly affordable, but but like yeah. anything, it's uh, not nothing lasts forever. No, nope. speed costs and, money. And speed costs money. How fast do you want to yeah, go? Yeah, how fast do you want to go? And like I said, start simply. Yeah. Um, build the biggest engine you can you can put together that fits under the hood that runs cool, and then start tweaking from there. So. This for sure is going to be a two-part podcast, and everybody be everybody will be happy um, to get this one. So we've been at it for a little over two hours right now. So in wrapping this up, anything. So people want to get a hold of you. How do they? Uh, people want to go to your your Facebook page or whatever. Where where do they go to see what, where you're at, where you're taking the the bullet, and where you're going to be racing next, or what you're going to be up to? Where? How do people get a hold of you? Yeah, that that's probably the easiest is uh, on Facebook. Uh, Scott Kelly or uh, Scott Kelly racing. I've got uh, both of those, the Scott Kelly racing. I don't, I don't update as much uh, since we stopped with uh, Toyota cause we were, we were running so many events and, and there was a lot to get out there. Yeah. And so I didn't want that on my own personal page. Um, but if someone wants to get a hold of me, that's probably the easiest way is on Facebook. Um, so, and, and uh, what are your plans for the rest of this year? Where are you going? Where are you going racing the rest of this year? Anywhere, anywhere we know of, we might be able, might be able to see you. Uh, I think uh, the next event I'm going to run is uh, actually in October. Is the last uh, Triple Crown event at Irwindale. 
But wait, it's not over. I just had another question. Yep, far away. So talk to me about like what's happened with, because as far as from the outsider's perspective, all I knew was like PRA. Right. And so from your summarization of being in the drag racing scene for 30 years now, a lot of air-cooled stuff, what's wrong with the air-cooled drag racing people? Why can't they get it together? Why can't we just have one sanctioning body and one good event? Because I'm assuming like all of their businesses and, and endeavors I'm sure someone who started Triple Crown was probably involved with an HRA or someone who started B, the BRS was involved and there was all cross kind of links and someone said, ah, you guys don't do it right, I'm going to do it my own way. And, and the challenge I think we have in the VW scene is it's such a segmented group, such a small group that if you start to dilute it, it, it really waters it down. So what happened with the PRA from your standpoint and then what in these two new sanctioning bodies, what's lacking in those? That could be better where we could have, because really the thing is, it'd be great to see 200 drag cars show up. Um, going back to when we jumped in, in uh, 89, um, I, I've said this several times now, it, it, it really was the kind of the resurgence of Volkswagen drag racing aside from the original late 60s, early 70s stuff. Mm-hmm. And PRA was the sanctioning body, and they had uh, Pro Turbo, uh, pro bug, pro stock, uh, super street. And those were the, uh, the pro classes. Now, like anything, whenever you start a class, um, you'll get a bunch of interest. A lot of guys, um, say you'll have 16 cars come out for, for super street. They're all pretty similar. Uh, but whenever you take, um, a heads up class, the fastest guy is going to win. The guy that puts the time, money, and experience into it. Mm -hmm. So you give it a year, year and a half. Those guys start separating themselves from the pack. And I think the origin of starting these classes is affordability. Hey, let's get everybody racing, right? Right, exactly. That was the the theory behind the 1600 class. Right. (laughs) So whenever whenever the, the intentions are good, the problem is, Money always plays the factor. Money trumps everything else. So becomes- you'll ha- you'll have uh, pro stock. They had two, three, four guys that were three tenths faster than everybody else. So in drag racing, three tenths is like a millennial. It's, it's, it's like a mile. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's you can't beat it. Right. That's two. It, that's three, four car lengths. Easy. At least that's not a. That's not a chance. You you just don't have it. No, and even even a reaction time. You slap somebody with a you know a tenth on the starting line, doesn't make up the three tenths on the other end. So like anything, uh, two three guys break away in the pack, and the sanctioning bodies never address it soon enough. And it so, sours the rest of the so people it in the sours class. the rest of people in class, and it's not. It's not a knock on the guys that are going super no. fast, but you you have to kind of look at it on a global scale to where, hey, how do we get these guys to where it's it's at least a drag race fair? Yeah, and so so for some of the people that may not be familiar with this, I know I the classes I remember there was a the Cadron class, right? Like whatever you want to run, run Cadrons are your are your carbs of choice. There was, was it called the Super 16 class? Super 1600 class? Yeah, that only lasted for a couple of years, though. Tops. Right. Tops. Because the, the king of the head department came in and shuts it down, right? It's like the Duran Kafer Cup class, right? That was a combination. <laughs> 
that class cracks me up because like it's a combination of like super clean cow look bugs and then quarter mile times and there's show points and there's points based on your performance and then sean gear shows up and ruins it for everyone yeah, yeah, and, and no, two no seconds faster. Yeah, no, no, no knock because it's. I mean, no. it's just it was wonderful. Not at all. It was a beautiful car. Man, I think it was fast as all get out. But that wasn't what the class was designed to right. do. <laughs> right. So someone, someone looks at the class outline and goes, "Well, if I do this, this, and this, I can just destroy. I can dominate that class." But the and and we're not knocking anybody here. Let's be clear on that. Well, what we're doing is is explaining that classes originally are designed for the masses. And when things push so far out of line where it just becomes uncompetitive, that that's when people lose interest in like, uh, there's no point in me racing because I'll never catch those guys that are three tenths faster than me. And and so and and they uh, usually the guys that are three tenths faster, if it's not money, it's it's uh, uh, influence connections, technology. So like your Jack Sacchetti, that's what he does for a living. Right. So he he's been doing this for. 35 years or 40, whatever it is, Jack knows how to build an engine. Right. So if someone off the street wants to build an engine like Jack has, he, he it's not the same. Right. So the, you, can't, you can't match the years of experience. Experience. That, and, and the and tricks te- that he's got or the little. And so without without going there and, and purchasing the technology, and then it goes back to money. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you want to go fast, it costs money to go fast. So that, that was kind of the PRA uh, downfall where you know you had all this interest in classes few guys run away with it and now they a year later two years later there's five cars showing up and they're all God, we got to fill the class right what are you gonna do there's not there's not enough entry fee money to pay the purse no one no one's gonna show up so uh, I think 1999 was the last time I ran a PRA event uh, in pro stock and we ended up winning the the championship that year. Um, and I remember going to a Sacramento event, mm-hmm. five cars showed up. So I trailered up, raced one, and they handed me a check for $200. Didn't cover the gas. And, and I go, it should, isn't it $800 for a win? Yeah. You guys didn't have full class. So we cut it down. And so after that, I said, you know, I think I'm done with that. I don't think I'm going to race. Yeah, I, I put my time, effort, energy to come to race the class because you, to to an extent, you're providing entertainment also for the, 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 the VW enthusiasts that come there. So how do we solve this? Like how, how, how does it get solved and how do you get all these people on the same page? How do you lock in? Because I think there's to some degree, let, let's talk about it for a second. So if they said in, in the sanctioning body, like, you know what? We want to get to get back to grassroots. So we're going to let guys that want to do Subi conversions, they'll have their own class. They'll have a Subaru conversion class and they can only be naturally aspirated. It's got to be a displacement of this and they can put some limitations on it there. And then I think it, it, it kind of gets those guys that can't afford a professional motor to be built and go get a factory junkyard takeout motor, put it in a car, have their own class. And then, but it's like, how do you do, do you do a 1776 class? Do you do like, how do you, I think it's one of those things like, how do you get it to where, you get that involvement because really sportsman is like the funnest thing. If you're, if you're there, I mean, you don't know you're not how to drive. You're going to really burn up your car, but uh, well, I, I don't know. Well, well one of the uh, uh, transitions when, uh, when I started running super stock heads up stuff um, and they're, they're kind of going through that transition right now to where there's only uh, three or four guys that are really running super fast mm-hmm. 
rest of the guys are kind of losing interest. And for me, I, I don't want to go spend $20,000 on an engine to go compete for a three race event. So I said, I made the transition. I said, I'll go pro pro eliminator with mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the guys. Yeah. And I am having some of the most fun I've had drag racing period. Cause the guys are fun. It's uh, an, you're not looking at every race like dollars. Like this is going to cost me yeah. a lot. I put together an engine. I can run it all year. Uh, and at the end of the year, I pull it down, service it. Everything's good. I can go race next year. Yeah. Pay my entry fee. Go have fun. And so when you when you, when you pull that motor down, you service it. What to what you just inspect everything? Change like, I mean, have you had a, a season where you ran it good? And you're like, man, I haven't hardly wore, wore these bearings out. Uh, I've had. I've been able to go uh, like uh, last year. I went all season didn't uh all i did was adjust valves that's it that's it uh put put jets in it and what are you running time wise um in the quarter mile i'm running high 10s low 11s and in the eighth mile i'm running 690s at about 100 miles an hour and the tranny how many passes are you getting out of the tranny transmissions we uh we run a bus box so they're a little more beefier than a so type you, one so let's talk about that when you switch from type one to bus box What's life? What, what? How many? How many races are you getting out of a Type One, or just like anybody that really wants to be respected in the drag racing is going to be in a bus box because if it, once you're making X amount of power, Type One box just can't handle it. Uh, what's funny is when, with Dad's experience, when when I built the car in '89, or when we built the car in '89, uh, he said, "I'm I'll I'll never build another Type One bus or for drag racing because they're just too small." So all I've ever built is a bus box. So when you were drag racing in the early days, nobody's running a bus box with you. There was, there was uh, one other guy that was running a bus box. So like, what are you doing that for? That's weird. Uh, but we could go, we could go all season without taking out of the car where these guys would run one or two events, take it out, have it serviced because everything is just much smaller. Right. Uh, not as, not as, as forgiving. And so on a bus box, do they have the different gear ratios that you have, or you just adjust it they by do. ring and pinion? They do. Yeah, they have gear ratios. They've got uh, the ring and pinions are are probably double the size. the The initial uh, knock on it is like they're bigger. They're going to take more horsepower, right? Heavier. But since then, everybody's going to the bus box now because they don't want to service them. And they do a U joint, like a U joint axle. You can do a U joint. Uh, or you for us, we, we run uh, CVs. The nine thirty CVs. Uh, I just run the uh, the bus CVs, mm-hmm. but chromoly cages, uh, chromoly uh, axles, and they uh, last you all season. They'll last me for five, six seasons. I've 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 only in my thirty years, I've only snapped maybe one or two axles. I need the bus box. I mean, I well, only way to I'm go. I'm talking on my street on my street cars. Only on, way to on, go on my motor that's in my bull run bus. It's a 2270 Type Four. I've been through two transmissions in that car because. And, and I dynoed it. It's 135 at the rear wheels, but it's it's, it's a 2270. It's the same as a 1641. It's a slip-in big bore. You know, Jake Rigby built it way back in the day. Um, but it's like you look at these transmissions and you think like, man, I, I mean, I got a buddy that's got a turbo car, street turbo convertible. He's had four transmissions in that car. You name them, they've built it for that car. And the last one he did was a Dave Fultz transmission. And it's like he's got a turbo that's putting 284 to the back wheels that Paradise did the motor on. It's, it's a show car convertible. And my buddy drives a little bit like an idiot, but um, I mean, he's he's not soft on anything, for especially for a street car. But it's, it's, it's roached a few trannies easily. And it's like, if if 
I would think five seasons on a on a tranny is like ten lifetimes of a na- of a hundred thirty five horsepower street driving or or maybe you know it, it's it seems quite a bit more longevity. But the, but is that the big challenge? Is the the big challenge is converting? It has to be IRS. And the first thought I think people have is like, oh, IRS is weaker, more breakpoints. Not at all. But it's heavier duty. Heavier duty. Yeah. And and when you make the uh, the um, CV joints, you just put the chromoly cages in it. I mean, they're just they're bulletproof. And so when it, we went to the the Toyota, we went with the 930s, and I ran for 14 years on the same CVs. Get out of here. Never never heard them. Really? I snapped one axle. On stock bus CVs? No, these are 930s oh, these in the, the 9, Toyota. 930s, 930s. Yeah, 930s, chromoly cages, zero issues. Wow. That's crazy. So when you when you build them right. Right, when, you, when you're not, because usually like if it starts snapping, the load's wrong, something's happening, something's out of alignment. Because on my bus, I'm, on my bull run bus, I'm going through and redoing some stuff right now. One of the things I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'm going to do an airbag setup, and I, there's nothing really wrong with the transmission now, but if I do airbags on it just to kind of change it up, I may go IRS. So if I go IRS, there's no question but to put a bus box in there. Is that what you're, is that what, would that be your advice? That would definitely be my advice. And then do you use a different flywheel in a bus box? Uh, no, you don't have to. So you could use the same flywheel or you could use a bus flywheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you use a little bit bigger flywheel, get a bigger well, it's, clutch disc on there? Uh, or is it, same, you, is it the same size? Same, earlier? same. So, oh, it's good food for thought because especially, and that's the that's number two way to go if you want a heavy duty box if you're going to do a Subaru conversion to Type Three because a lot of dudes are doing that right now. I, I would put a bus box in it and you'd never have an issue. Hands down, hands down. Don't even worry about the single side plate Super Beetle trans because that's that's puny compared to. And who builds the bus boxes? Uh, Rancho's built them for us for a lot of years. Uh, Fultz has done some of our stuff. So a guy wants a bus box. I mean, cost to build them is about the same. Yeah, for a drag box, they're probably twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred bucks. But that's best of the best, top of the line. You're going, you're going racing, you're not, not like streetcar. Yeah, guy. you're not going to break it. Like streetcar guy, they just do typical welded third and fourth, heavy duty shift fork, stuff like that. That's what they would do for a street guy. They wouldn't have to go all out like they would for a drag no. guy. No. Hmm. Interesting. Indeed. Well, we've talked about a lot of stuff, man, and I really appreciate you coming in and getting on the podcast. Sure. And, and I'm, I'd sure love to get Dad to sit down and and just talk about his VW story, man, because that's what this podcast is all about. Um, you can find him at Scott Kelly Racing on Facebook. Or uh, just Scott Kelly, my, my regular face page. Scott Kelly on Facebook. Yeah, you can't miss it because there's a picture of him and a picture of him and his scion on there. So. Uh, for sure, man. Appreciate you for coming on the podcast. I, it's been great. We've learned a lot. I'm sure I'll probably have you back on and maybe uh, we'll see you at one of the next drag events coming up. Uh, October, uh, the last race of the Triple Crown, I think it's October 27th is the next uh, event I'll be at. And that'll be at, is that going to be? Irwindale. Irwindale. So that'll be Irwindale. All right. Well, cool. Well, Scott, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks a lot. It's been fun. Yeah, yeah make the trip down. Come check us out. For see, sure. See what we're up to. We, we may do we may do a little Facebook Live or something from down there and just kind of check stuff out. So people that have listened to the podcast that are around the world that want to see it, maybe we'll do a Facebook Live from down there and kind of just get everybody on there. That'd be awesome. All right, man. Well, All right, man. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. You got it. All right.